Greetings. Welcome to each one of you. Blessings to you. I trust you're all having a meaningful time here at camp meeting. I know I am. Nancy and I have met a lot of neat people already. We've counseled with young people. We've given presentations to the youth. And we've also talked to the adults. And here we are, our third time together. We're here to talk about relationships, things that matter to us. No matter who you are, where you are, you have relationships. Maybe they're good. Maybe not. I don't know. But we're going to talk about good ones here. We're also going to specifically talk about the difference between male and female in this particular presentation. Let's pray as we begin. Our Father in Heaven, we are grateful for the beauty that you have placed in male and female. Together, Father, you've called us to represent heaven, to bless one another, and to be used by you. And we ask that our marriages, Father, and other relationships that you have given us would be a product of your will. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I was in Boise, Idaho a number of years ago participating in a marriage seminar. First time I'd ever been to Boise, kind of a neat place. Afterwards we went out and looked at the Snake River Canyon where Evil Knievel tried to jump over it and didn't make it. There's a lot of people who are trying to jump over another kind of canyon in their life. They're trying to jump over the canyon of bitterness, maybe the canyon of resentment. Or maybe the canyon of some kind of infidelity, something that is ripped like a knife through the home. But whatever the problem is, I'm here to tell you tonight there is hope. We know where the answers are, and we'd like to present some of those to you by God's help from the Bible. I am amazed at three things. I'm amazed at how accurate the Bible is to give answers to everything that we struggle with. Number two, I'm also amazed at how sin binds and destroys people, how it binds and destroys their life. And number three, I'm amazed at how repentance and cleansing can free a person. How a couple who've had barriers between them for 20, 30 years can find freedom and happiness, can walk hand in hand down by the creek after releasing bitterness. There in Boise, Idaho, I was approached by a young lady one afternoon after a seminar. I had given a talk and she came up later and she said, could my boyfriend and I talk to you? And I said, sure, I'd be glad. To. I said, I don't have a lot of time though, when would suit you? And she said, well, he works till six or seven. And I said, okay, I've got a little slot of time between seven and, or between eight and 10 p.m. the following night, would that work? Sure. They came into the church, pastor gave us his office. I sat down with him, and I could tell right away when they walked in, the young man was angry. How do you know that? Oh, you just do. You don't have to open up the stove to know there's a fire in there. He had a hat jammed down over angry blue eyes. So I asked him to sit down, I asked her to sit down, nice young kids. Didn't know much about them yet, but I knew they wanted to talk. And so as we sat there, I asked them to tell a little bit about themselves. I got them relaxed. I told them just a little bit about myself, try to get everyone relaxed. And I asked them if I could pray. And he shrugged his shoulders. He, I don't care, I guess. Uh, no interest there, that's okay. So I prayed, he kept his hat on the whole time. And I didn't challenge him with that. I just accepted him where he was. And then we got to know each other a little bit better and I asked the girl, I started with her first because she was the one that asked me to, to sit down and talk. So I knew that she had, she had a desire, she wanted to be there. And I wanted to find out why they wanted to come and talk to a guy like me from Ohio, just a country boy. And so I said, do you believe in God? She said, yeah, I do. I said, good. I said, tell me about yourself. She said, well, my mother tried to commit suicide when she was young and she finally succeeded. She tried a number of times. I was sorry to hear that. I said, what else happened in your life? Were you close to dad? She said, no. She said, dad provided for me, but I could never connect with him. He was busy off doing his own thing. He's what we call emotionally detached in the counseling field. Okay. 
So I asked a young man, I turned to him, and I said, would you be willing to tell your story? Yeah, he was. I wasn't asking too much of him. He said, my father was in Vietnam, and he came back um, deeply damaged, traumatized by things he experienced in Vietnam. And he brought that with him back into the States. He looked okay on the outside, but not so good on the inside. His mother had a, an ongoing struggle um, with her sanity. I'm trying to look for a nice way to say it. I guess there's no way, no way to sugarcoat it. She ended up in a home for the insane, is what they called it back then. He ran away from home at the age 14. 14 years old, that's not very old. He ran away from home to get away from the craziness of life. At the age 16, he got married. Okay. At the age 18, he was divorced. And thus far, his life has been punctuated by these two-year intervals, 14, 16, 18. And now here he was sitting in this office, and he was in his late 20s, a landscaper. I found out they weren't married. They'd been living together for two years. They had a daughter who was about, about that old, maybe a year and a half, a beautiful little red-haired girl. Um, they wanted to know, should we get married? That was the first question they asked me, and I shudder when I get those kind of questions right off the bat. I'm not sure I like them after I know a lot about the couple, but let alone when they ask me that right up front. And I, I said, let's put that question aside. And I turned to the man, and I said, do you believe in God, my friend? The same shrug, the rolling of eyes. I don't know. Does it matter? <laughs> yeah, it matters a lot. And when he said that, I looked at my watch and I had an hour and 59 minutes. I had committed three hours to these young people and I had an hour and 59 minutes left. I remember looking at my watch and I thought, what will I do in this one hour and 59 minutes? And I wanted to introduce them to Jesus. If I did nothing else, I wanted to leave that room knowing that I had led them to Jesus. Let them make the decision. That's what we did. So I asked him, do you like to walk? Yeah, sure. Well, you want to go outside? No. No, it was hot out there. So I said, let's go for a walk in imagination. And I told them just a story. I painted a picture in imagination about the dusty streets of Nazareth and about how you walk out of the town. I said, let's go. And we walked through those streets and we came out to the outskirts of the, of the village out into the open fields and there's a large crowd. And we came up to the back of the crowd and we paused there for a moment. And I opened my Bible and I began to read statements from the Bible to this young couple. He that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Are you laden? Are you struggling, any one of you? And as I began to quote the words of Jesus, I saw something happen in this young couple, and instinctively the young man reached up, took his denim hat off, laid it on the table. And I didn't ask him to do that. And that told me something that day, that we're in, when you're in the presence of God, when you're in the presence of a God who loves you, it touches you in some way, it affects you. You begin to sense your own need, your own unworthiness, and that's exactly what happened to that man that night. And then I did some other things with him. I had him turn and face each other, and I put some statements in the guy's mouth to talk to the girl. <clears throat> and I put some statements in her mouth to speak to him because I wanted to find out where their pain is. It didn't take long. Within a few minutes, they were both in tears. They needed each other. But more than that, they needed God. And that's the same way with you and I, my friend. We need God in our marriage. And that's what we're here to talk about this afternoon. The title of this message is, I've given it two different titles. One of them is called Three Words. Simple little title. And then the next the title that I've given it is Communication Wiring, and I think we'll go with that one as we start. Communication Wiring. I start off with a statement, a propositional statement. We are created for relationships by God. Is that true or not? Yes. How do I know? The Bible says so. I'm not inventing any of these things. Communication Wiring. Let's go on. <clears throat> Hope you enjoy this picture as much as I did selecting it. Here we have a husband and wife in bed, seemingly for a nice peaceful evening of slumber, but the husband realizes that there's concertina wire down the middle of the bed. The wife has hastily 
nailed two two-by-fours onto the bed frame and strung concertina wire between them. And the husband's kind of sitting there saying, is something wrong? Apparently I have done something to upset you. All too many people have had this experience. You have, if you're married. Been times when I have. There's been times when there's been some kind of distance between us. Maybe it's small, maybe it's a, a single flat tire. Or maybe your marriage has gotten to the place where all four tires are down on the car and the car won't move. How can you fix that? God can. Let's talk about the difference between male and female. I'd like to start off with a question. I ask you to ponder this question. What is the most pain that a person can feel? I've asked myself this question over the years. I'll attempt to answer that at the end of this presentation. Let's go on. Three words to open the heart. There are two different kinds of language. You see, there is head-to-head -head language. We're all good at that. I am. You are. I come home from work, and I, I turn to my wife, and I say, My dear, did you sew the button on my pink shirt? It's the second one from the top. What's for supper? How about cleaning the house? I don't always say that. I just threw that in there. Head-to-head -head communication. I like the color green. Okay, intellectual statement. Doesn't have a whole lot of meaning, but sure, that's a starting point. But if I come up to Nancy when she's sitting there at the island, at the green granite island, and I put my arm around her, and I say, how are you doing? Did you come up here? I'm calling my best friend in life up here to join me on the platform. My wife, Nancy, of 29 years. How about that? How about that? <laughs> I have a question for you. Yes. Okay. Do you feel loved by me? I do. How does that feel? Safe. Mm -hmm. Warm. Good. Mm -hmm. Have there been I times when you haven't felt that way? Yes. I'm sorry. How did you work through that? Well, I think we worked through it. Exactly. Exactly. We work through it together. You see, we weren't born knowing how to counsel people. We weren't born knowing how to do marriage. How were we born? Sinful and selfish and self-centered. Yeah, prideful. I was great at that. I had all of that, that naturally too. coming into the, into the marriage. Pardon? That too. Yes. What attracted you to me? <laughs> Dangerous question. Oh, you were so... First, obviously, you were very handsome, very cute, and then you were very nice, very kind, <clears throat> soft-spoken, not loud, arrogant, boastful, obnoxious. You weren't any of those. Not then. You weren't none of that. Well, thank you. <laughs> What's been the happiest time in our life together? Oh, honey, I don't, there's a lot of them. Just pick one. Our honeymoon. <laughs> That was great. 120 pictures. That was a lot back then in the days of film. We did more than that, though. We, went, we had a lot of fun. We went to Niagara Falls. Just had a great time. We did. Okay. There's been a lot since, of course. Many, 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 many. That one stands out because we both feel the same way about that. Excellent. 2003 sticks out in my mind. That was kind of a neat year for us, too. It's the year that we finally got serious about our relationship. We opened up our lives to each other completely. Completely. No hidden closets. We resolved every issue between us. We had a good marriage, but we had, we had areas in our life we couldn't seem to get past. And we were content just to detour around it. But 2003, 2002 was that era of time where we kind of rolled our sleeves up because God was kind of calling us into the counseling and, and the encouraging ministry for young people and married people alike. And I told God, I'm, I'm available, but I've got to resolve my own issues first. And the Lord said, here's how you do it. You might ask me how I, what I was oh. attracted to you for. Okay. Um, what was the first thing that attracted you to me? You're not going to believe this. I thought that your feet were dirty. Well, there's a reason for that. We were at an, an annual meeting. We were both um, grew up in the Anabaptist church, which like Amish or Mennonite. That's my heritage. I was the eighth generation out of seven. And there was this large meeting down by Eaton, Ohio, and it was raining for three or four solid days. And there, yeah, it was so muddy they had to use huge farm tractors to pull the vehicles 
into the parking lots, not just to get them out, to pull them in. Well, we were all muddy, but the first time I saw my wife in any house, I, I thought her feet were muddy, but they were very pretty. <laughs> they were lovely. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me go on. More than that, though, when I got to know Nancy, I found that she was not only beautiful on the outside, but there was beauty on the inside. And that resonated with me as a man. What were um, some of the happiest times to you in our married life? Oh boy, there's been all kinds of them, but I'll just rattle off a few. I'd like to echo what you said about the honeymoon. And I'd also like to say the year uh, 1991 was just kind of a neat year um, for a lot of reasons. We began to go closer, glow, grow closer emotionally. Thank you. And that was kind of a, I guess, the second phase in our relationship where we were starting to mature and starting to um, become what God wanted us to be. And then in the year 2000 was kind of the final step in that. We, got a, we took a second honeymoon, by the way. I bought the same kind of car I had the first time around. We fixed it up, the boys and I, and Nancy and I drove it to Niagara. It's kind of fun. Y'all done? Yeah, since we didn't write anything down. Thank you very much, hon. Now, back to head language and heart language. What we've tried to demonstrate there, and it wasn't as, as thorough as it might be sometimes, but I, I've titled part of this message three words. Why is that? Three words to open the heart. Now, there's a couple of ways you can say this to an individual. You can go to them and say, are you happy? Or you can say, are you happy? Notice the difference? Same words. Three more words. I need you. Ha ah, Now you're appealing to the heart of that individual. I need you. Okay. Now they might respond to that or they might not. They might be afraid and they might kind of freeze up inside and say, I'm not ready for this. I don't want to be needed. Why? Because my heart doesn't know how to love. Why? Because one of ten different issues spiritually have locked my heart and I don't know what's wrong with me. Let's go on. I am lonely. Okay, that's an appealing statement. When you say those kind of a things from your heart to another person, you're appealing to the heart of that person. And they're going to want to respond to you. They're going to want to open up. Maybe they can't. Maybe they're afraid. Maybe they've been hurt before. And they don't want to get hurt again. But this is a great way to start communication heart to heart. Can we pray? Aha. We've just introduced spiritual intimacy into the equation. Husbands and wives need that. Each of us, all of you listening, watching this at Audioverse, need this with God first. You see, Adam had enjoyed this with God long before Eve was around. We don't know how long, but for a while, God established the primacy of spiritual intimacy. And then he brought a lovely gift, a wife to him, and together they experienced emotional intimacy. I love you. We need Jesus. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. There is hope. Every person who's depressed has one common denominator in their life. They've lost hope. You see, that's what depression is. It's a secondary emotion. And one of the indicators of it is there is a loss of hope in the life. There is hope, my friends. Wherever you're at in life and whatever you're experiencing, there is hope. Let's resolve this. I like those kind, of, those kind of statements because we've been there, we've been through them, and we've been profited by that. I was wrong. Three words, not so many syllables, but some of the hardest words to say if a person has pride in their life. Pride will block the resolution of every other problem in your life. First step to having a good marriage is to resolve pride. It's that one sin that we all struggle with. I know I do. And every morning I have to call out to God and fall in front of Him and ask God to humble me as I humble myself. We work together in it. Lastly, can I care? This is a, a sympathetic heart reaching out to that other person. Can I care about the things that you're experiencing? Now, there are three words you might want to avoid. Maybe you've been there. <clears throat> can you see that all right? Okay. Ready, aim, fire, battle. I'm getting ready to start, right? I don't care. That's one of the most dangerous three words in a marriage relationship you can have. I don't care. Number three, just shut up. I won't listen. 
You are wrong. I talked to a lady the other day who said she struggled with pride. And I said, or she said it this way. She said, I, I, I don't have pride in my life. It's just that everyone is so stupid. <laughs> yeah, she had some pride in her life. And there's a way to resolve that biblically. To be an humble person. You can be uh, used by God when you're humble. If you're walking in pride, the good book says that God will fight against you. I'm usually right. What a moron. What an idiot. Three words that damage the heart of another individual. These are attack statements. It's all about me. We live in a world, a culture that is saturated with self, a narcissistic culture to where the center of the universe has gradually shifted in almost every center of the earth to the individual, especially in our culture here. It's all about me. I'm in charge. Pride again. Pride likes to control other people. And I've been there, my friends. I've been there. And I can also tell you the blessing of having an humble heart by responding to God and letting Him be in charge of my life. You're so fill in the blank. I may have missed something. I'll leave that up to you. I've got my rights. You've heard this statement before, haven't you? I have. How many rights did Jesus claim? That I know of just one. He said, I have a right to lay my life down and take it up again. Lastly, get a life. I first heard this statement in 1994. I didn't care much for it then. I don't, still don't like it very well. Now we're talking about families here, marriages and family. And there are three specific crimes against members of the family. We've got male, female, and children. I want to start out first by talking about crimes against women. You've heard of this term up here, it's called feminism. It wasn't so popular back in the 50s. It began to really gain momentum during the 1960s. I was born in 1960, so I grew up in the 60s, pretty young throughout most of it, and also in the 70s. I saw this picture one day in the plumbing magazine I was looking through. I said, I've got to have that, so I threw it into the scanner and copied it. I'm using it here as an illustration. This encapsulates all that we're trying to describe. Crimes against women. I'll just read to you what it says here at the bottom. Your left hand says we, your right hand says me. Your left hand rocks the cradle, your right hand rules the world. Women of the world, raise your right hand. There, some people buy into this. A lot of people, sad to say. A lot of women are disillusioned in our culture. The rate of depression among women is higher than it's ever been. It's the number one prescribed illness in Australia. America is close behind depression. And part of that is because the roles are all messed up in our culture. You see, our culture tells women they need to look a certain way to have value. All of you have seen this. You ladies, you've been exposed to these kind of influences. Like hydraulic pressure, it constantly pushes in on you through magazines, standing in the line at Meyer. You've got to look a certain way in order to have value. Now, having said that, it would be good if we would all take care of ourselves, sure. Nancy and I just returned from a trip over in Scandinavia. We were conducting a week of prayer at the European Bible School. And one thing we noticed over there was how universally fit the people of Norway seemed to be. My wife pointed that out to me after being there for a week, and I said, I guess you're right. I hadn't noticed it before. And then we flew back to London, and then we flew to O'Hare, and we said, okay, we're home. We're home. Big difference in the way they take care of themselves and the way that most Americans do. However, they also have the same problems we have. They struggle with marriages, they struggle with the ability to love, and they struggle with these outside influences. Another lie that is being compressed upon our women is that anger will make you powerful. You can push people away from you emotionally. It won't cost you anything. Yes, it will. It'll cost you the ability to love, to give and receive. Number three, you need independence from men. This is also a theme that began to gain influence down through the 1960s and 70s. It really gained momentum. As many women were reacting to what in some cases were legitimate abuses, but if you climb out of one ditch and you run across the road and you fall in the other one, you're just as bad off as where you started, aren't you? Let's go on. Without a career, you have no value. My wife and I, were 
with a group of people over at Whitewater State Park one time back in 1988. And in that park, we were getting to know some people, and they said, what do you do? And I told them, and they asked my wife, what do you do? And she said, I'm a housewife. I take care of the house, and we got two beautiful children. <laughs> what did they say then to that? You're just a housewife. Exactly. And you and I remember that statement. Why? Because it, it didn't, something didn't sound right about it. And you go back to the Bible and you go back to the spirit of prophecy and there you find the rightful value placed on motherhood. The rightful value is not found in the world. The world demeans the things of God. And you'll hear statements like that. Oh, you don't have a career? Yes, I do. I'm raising two young men to be soldiers in the Lord's army. We'll get to the fathers later. I'm working on the women now. Motherhood is demeaning. This goes along with number four there. That, by the way, is falling by the wayside. There are many women in Western culture who are starting to pull back away from these lies. And they are lies. Why? Because they are, they are violently opposed to the truth of Scripture. And the enemy is behind this to mess up the balance in homes and to bring dissatisfaction and frustration into the lives of children and also marriages. There's a better way. Let's go on and talk about what television does to people. This is not the better way, by the way. Uh, you may have a television. Uh, we don't, I was raised without one. I'm warped, I know it. Uh, I was raised, like I said, Amish or Mennonite. Uh, we don't have TV. We did have electric. And so after we got married, we had to make a choice. And so we got a television for two months. I couldn't stand it any longer, and we threw the bum out, as Grandma would say. <laughs> Still don't have one. People say, well, how come you don't have a TV? I say, I can't afford it. I hope you can't either. <clears throat> but anyhow, having said that, I just want you to know, those of you that have them who control them, you have my respect. I really admire that, because I'm not sure I would. I've been in motel rooms, and I've turned a dumb thing on. I've seen the kind of stuff that's on there. And I have a great amount of respect and admiration for 3ABN. We just came from there last week, uh, working with the youth department at their camp meeting. That's a good use of television. But we're talking about the wrong use of it here and the effect that it has on people. It tells women they need to be sexy to have value. This again is an untruth because the Bible indicates that God created women to be beautiful and there's a huge difference, okay? A big difference. I grew up with a guy, a friend in school who made a statement one time, he said, he said, I've known some women who are really beautiful but were spiritually ugly. I never forgot that statement. I was seventh or eighth grade. Let's go on. The television encourages fantasy. It makes you dissatisfied a lot of times with what you have. It encourages fantasy. A lot of women will be wondering, oh, if it just, I just wonder what it would be like to be married to that guy. Most men struggle with, or not, of the people who struggle with pornography, let me put it that way, most of them are men. The great majority of those are men, 90 percentile, okay? 16% of women have admitted to looking at pornography or struggle with it for any length of time. Usually that's a man's problem. That is changing, by the way. It's up in the, 20, the mid to high 20s now, the percentage of the tests and the surveys they've taken. So there's, there's some movement in the wrong direction there. I hope, I hope under men and women we could put a zero in each column, but that's not reality in our world. We live in a messed up world that is twisted in the way it deals with sex. This gift of God, it has taken this gift and perverted it. Perverted it. Let's go on here. Film, movies is so powerful. I learned this from a friend, Dr. Ron Dupree told me this. We were um, I forget, one of the GYCs, but he said film is so powerful because it goes right past your filter. Neurologically, it will make you a walking bundle of habits. Scary. Now let's talk about guys. We've got some guys here in the audience. <clears throat> one of the greatest problems in our culture, in Western culture, it's the same way in Scandinavia, is the missing father. You see, this is a tremendous problem. We have families that are all out of balance because yes, dad might be out there, if he's even around, he might be earning a living, yes, but he comes home and he tunes out and he looks for the remote control. 
and he's done with the family. His antenna is not up. He doesn't, he doesn't know what's going on. His, his children could be falling apart inside. They could be just crying inside emotionally, even in their high school years, and he's not tuned in. He doesn't know. Now, he does provide for the family, sure. But an orphanage can do that. Something more is needed. 91% of all men in prison have either a bad or no relationship with their father. When Nancy and I go around and conduct seminars around the country and in some cases around the world on relationships, sometimes we'll go into an ethnic culture where eight out of ten fathers are missing. And we have to be prepared when we go in there how to, how to help those people, how to care for them, and how to lead them to healing in that area, get them connected to their Heavenly Father. Crimes against men. Men are being conditioned in Western culture to be passive. And boy, that's true. And it happens so many ways, guys. I feel for each one of you. Because we're all in this together and there's hydraulic pressure pushing, pushing in on each one of us, trying to condition you and I to be passive, to not be leaders. No wonder. Ellen White said the greatest want of the world is the want of men. I believe she looked prophetically down the corridor of time to today. Never was the father more needed in our homes. Let's go on. They earn money, but they're not involved in the family. Their antenna's not up. We've talked about some of these things already. And something I have to touch on just briefly is how men are portrayed. You, you know this, advertising, literature, entertainment, sometimes music. Men are portrayed as bumbling and sensitive fools. You'll have these advertisements. The guy's just a complete flop. And he's, his wife sends him out to get pizza, Papa John's, and he's driving home, and he just can't resist getting some of that on the way home. And he drips it all over the steering wheel on himself, and he's trying to wipe it off on his sleeve. And he gets home, and of course the wife's just, what a moron. That is the culture that we're in. It's not accurate, you see. It's not based on Bible values. It's based upon the lies of the enemy. Are there some men who are not living up to what they should be? You bet. You bet. But let's, let's go there together. Let's turn to the Bible and find out what reality is. Television teaches men to lust, to fantasize. This is absolutely true in our culture. We mentioned that just briefly already in pornography. That's a huge problem in our culture, and it's damaging many, many people. And this will also damage the wife. The wife will feel defiled if the husband's in pornography, and she may not even know why. But she's going to feel defiled for some reason. You see, a woman is sensitive. Her spirit can sense some of these things. And she can also tell at times by looking at a man. This, this makes men nervous sometimes, but a woman can tell if a man is lusting with his eyes when he looks at them. I've had husbands and wives come in and, and the husband resolves the issue of pornography and the woman resolves her bitterness. And all of a sudden, the woman will look at the guy and she'll say, something's different about you. I don't know what that is. There's something different about your eyes. Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. It's the doorway to the heart. When we resolve heart issues, like water reflects an image, our face reflects what's happening inside. And that's neat to see that happen. Television makes us lazy, not only physically, physiologically, emotionally too. You're just kind of going into neutral, letting something else control your mind. It raises depression levels. Oddly enough, this is happening in men's lives. There are statistics that bear this out. And more importantly, television will desensitize a guy to pain over a period of time. Movies, same way. Nancy and I don't go to movies. We choose not to. We've got just a few in our home, um, but they're pretty benign. I was, I was pretty, pretty uh, clear with my children what kind of movies you're going to bring into the house. If it doesn't pass the test, then it, out it goes onto the burn pile. And so they only, they only brought a few in. There's not that many good ones to choose from. Lastly, the crimes against children. Each of us are children. At some point, we have been. Maybe we have them, maybe we don't. I love kids, by the way. Got a lot of nieces and nephews. No grandkids yet, but got a son that's getting married in a month, so you never know what will happen. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Children are great. But children can experience some pretty hard things in this world. Here's a young girl 
who's kneeling at the grave of a father who was killed in Afghanistan. All she can do is light a candle to his memory. By the time she's 20 years old, that memory will have faded to almost nothing. Something is missing out of her life. Here we have a young man who has just watched something on television that he can't take back, no matter, no matter how much he wishes. He could push the reset button and erase it. You can't take it back. God be with him. And there is a way to resolve that, by the way. There's good news through Christ. Here's a young girl who's just found out her parents are getting divorced. And she almost wishes her life could end. She's feeling all alone sitting there in the kitchen on this bar stool. But she can't end it. She's got to go on. She has an eighth grade class to go to tomorrow. She's got to find a way to go on. And how does she do that? She pulls a switch inside and she learns how not to feel anymore creates a whole pathway of problems as she grows up and goes down through life. Let's go on. The world is dedicated to the loss of your children's innocence long before they can handle it. And it's, it's getting worse. Paul was right when he said evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. So we don't need to be caught off guard by these things. Paul said it would happen. God, through Paul, warned us. And he also said, he also said, that we can be more than conquerors through him who loved us. There is hope. There is hope. The world is exporting iniquity to your children through television. You all know what exporting means, right? You're kind of marketing, supplying bad things to your children through television, music, and advertising. And as parents, we have to make some choices. We have to, Number one, don't be your kid's friend at the age 15. Don't, don't aim for that. Don't try to be their friend. Be their parent. You can be friends later on. <clears throat> Let's go on. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. Each of you are special to God. No one can take your place with him. You're unique. You're unique. God cares about each one of you. And he makes a statement in scripture that unless you become as a little child, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. That's a strong statement. What does that mean? That means we're invited there to trust God with an innocence reminiscent of little children. To everyone who's been forsaken or abandoned by a mother and father, I give them this verse. And I ask them if they'd like to pray together. When your father and mother forsake you, then I, the Lord God, will take you up. Take you up means to lift you to himself, to hold you close. God created families so people would be loved. You don't have to be alone. He created families. Oh, Mr. Wagoner, my family's a mess. My parents have done everything wrong. Okay. Maybe they have done some things wrong, but they haven't done everything wrong. They changed your diaper once. They fed you once, at least. Okay, otherwise you wouldn't be here. They've done a few things right. People tend to exaggerate their pain. What we have to do is just accept that and work back towards the truth in their life. God created male and female unique. Have you noticed that? Anybody? Sure. I noticed it when I was young. I noticed it again after I got older. I'd like to talk just for a moment about men's brains and women's brains and the differences between them. This is from a physiological point of view, okay? The uh, University of Pennsylvania has done a number of studies in this area. They've got a very good... Uh, neurology department over there and they've done a lot of, of studies and they found that men and women are actually different and they threw their hands up like this was a new discovery <laughs> yeah we know they're different we also know that the bible talks to each one differently in ephesians 5 and first peter 3 those famous marriage chapters you'll notice that the exhortation given to both male and female are different they're not exactly the same why is that because they're different not wrong, just different. Okay, 1995, 2004, there was also a study done in 2000, which is kind of sandwiched between those two dates. I'd like to just draw a few conclusions from them. Now, a disclaimer here, I did not make this chart here. I did not draw this picture. I threw it in here as a way to kind of relax you a little bit with some humor. A lot of the things we talk about are pretty serious 
and you're getting into the hearts and lives of people. I thought this was kind of funny, and so I brought it out here just to kind of enjoy it with you. This is somebody's caricature of the male brain, okay? And it might be true. It might be true in the carnal sense, but we're here to talk about the spiritual man later on. We'll follow up with that. Okay, the ask for directions neuron. Well, it's not very big, is it? <laughs> is that true? Sometimes. Listening particle needs help. Attention span. Okay, it's talking down to guys again. Avoid personal questions at all cost. Pretty good sized. Lame excuses gland. You'll notice I'm avoiding these for now. We'll get to that later. Ball sports. Dangerous pursuits. Any of you guys ever bungee jumped in here? Guilty as charged. It was at a fair, Dark County Fair, Greenville, Ohio. It looked fairly safe, so I did it. I don't know if I would do it again. It was a lot of fun. Construction center, yeah. We must guys just kind of gravitate towards a hammer and a nail a lot easier than our female counterparts. Toilet aiming cell. These work. Not very big. I've, I've got a confession to make to you. Now right here, everybody's ears perks up. There have been times when I have walked by a bathroom in our house to go outside. You don't have to aim. Domestic skills, very small, tiny. Television remote control addiction center, that's certainly not my problem. Ironing, uh, yeah, there's some truth to that. I'm, I'm almost helpless when I got a wrinkled shirt and I'm grateful for having a good wife. Ability to drive manual transmission. Whoever put this together has identified the sex drive as the most powerful of all motivators in the male brain. Now, I will agree to that to some extent. Uh, male testosterone peaks at around the age 18, okay? It comes up here at a fairly high level, and it stays just about level throughout your life, and, and then you die. <laughs> and then you die. And there have been cases where, where a man um, might through whatever reason, lose some testosterone, he simultaneously loses his sex drive. They have found that by giving that man an injection, they can bring him back to the same old guy that he used to be. <clears throat> Down here at the footnote, the listening to children cry in the middle of the night gland is not shown due to its undeveloped nature, best viewed under a microscope. Tongue in cheek, remember that. We're not hitting on guys here. We're just laughing a little bit at ourselves. Let's go on. Another thing they discovered, interestingly enough, at the University of Pennsylvania, and in order to do this, they brought a bunch of guys in and they hooked them up to all these uh, leads and test wires and monitors, and they got all these screens going on. You've got these young students coming in there with lab coats and notebooks and pencils, and they're, hmm, yes, they're writing down all the detail, and they're looking at at how the brain wave is, is uh, responding on the monitor. And beep, boop, boop, up, down, going all over the place. And then all of a sudden, on this one guy, nothing. Stopped. Just stopped. He said, hey. Hey, and the guy goes, huh? You know, and it started going again. And they said, well, that's weird. Maybe this guy's broke. Um, you're very nice, but we're, we're done with you. You can go. Thank you. Next. They brought another guy in, hooked him up to all these wires and test leads and everything, hooked it up to the monitor. Same thing. It's going up and down. Neurologic impulses, synopsis, everything firing. Went flat. And they said, whoa, maybe it's a guy problem. Maybe it's a guy characteristic. They didn't know. But they discovered there, through all those tests, that a human, the male brain, rather, has the ability to just kind of shut down while you're, and still breathe, still live. You've got all these involuntary functions that are going on. By the way, you guys know what I'm saying, don't you? I think that's why guys can fish for four hours straight, you know, just kind of. I can't do that very long, but but a guy has the ability apparently to think about nothing. Another thing they found out was that a guy was very ordered in the way that he thought about different topics. 
he would have a compartment, for instance, or let's say a, a cubicle or a compartment for just about everything, one for the car, one for the lawnmower, uh, one for the job, one for the bank account, one for all these different categories. And a guy, in the way he thought, he was very careful to only open up one of these at a time. Okay. Just one at a time. What's that? You know this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nancy, if she was in here, she could attest to that, too. She'll be off on, she'll be off on three other topics. And I'll be saying, wait, 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 wait. I'm still thinking about three topics before that. She said, well, yeah, I'm done with that one. I went on three other ones. <laughs> You're still mauling over the first one. And so when a guy wants to think about something, he will open up this one particular compartment. He'll go to it. You want to think about the job or the mother-in-law um, down in the basement. Um, just kidding. And you want to talk about just that one topic or think about it. Okay. And you're very careful when you are done with that topic not to bump into any other ones. That's the way the male brain works, apparently. Now, what does God have to say about all this? He has a lot to say. We're going to get to that later. Let's go on here. Female brain. Again, I didn't draw this, but I selected it because of its ability to relax you a little bit. We're not making fun of women. Shoe handbag coordination, pretty good sized. Jealousy, I don't know if that's true or not. In a way it is, I've seen girls uh, in New York City and also our own little town, how they'll view a woman who's just decked out coming down the sidewalk. And I, I see the ways they look at her and I see the way guys look at her too. That's a whole nother topic when we're dealing with morality. Realization of wants versus needs, uh, sense of direction, neuron, which way is northeast by the way guys and gals? Anyhow, listening particle, shopping, pretty good size. Do you guys like to shop? Any of you? Raise your hand. I asked this question in Norway. One little Norwegian kid said, when I have money. Yeah, I can understand that. I'm the same way. I don't like to just go browse for hours with no purpose. Need for commitment hemisphere. That's a good thing. Telephone skills. Is that true? I suppose it is in some cases. And by the way, if, if, if this isn't true, then just extrapolate for your own situation. Indecision nucleus, chocolate center. I don't know about that. I don't know if that's true or not. For some girls it is. Uh, physical intimacy connected to the listening particle. And there is something to that because if you're married, physical intimacy is, is directly tied to your ability to connect emotionally with your spouse. Hear this, guys, hear this. Um, Sex will be three times, no, it'll be a hundred times better if you have spiritual and emotional intimacy first in your marriage. Remember that. Somewhere between ten and a hundred times, I'll, I'll leave the exact amount up to you. But you get those two operating first. A huge difference. Let's go on. Over in Norway, I had to explain what tongue-in-cheek meant. How would you tell people who don't understand American idioms what that means? I said, well, it means it's supposed to be funny. And they said, okay, we understand that. Let's go on. What they found there in that same test over in the University of Pennsylvania was that a woman's brain is best described by, let's say, fiber optic wire, just a, a big, looks like a ball of yarn, maybe it is, or baling wire. But we're going to call it fiber optic wire because of the way everything's connected to everything and the job is connected to the lasagna and the lasagna is connected to that stain on the carpet in the bathroom. My brother-in-law said this and the laundry is needing to be folded and it's done and I know and and it goes on and on and on and on and not wrong by the way, not wrong, just different. You see God has created women with the unique ability to do several things at the same time. Best chefs in the world, what are they, male or female? male. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Why? Because a guy has the ability to focus on one thing and do it really, really well. Best engineers in the world. That's not to take away from, from the few women who have become engineers. There are some, but the great majority, the great thrust, have a male brain. 
because of the way it's wired. Now, a woman can do a number of things well, and this is what's needed. You see, God has equipped women with a unique ability, the nurturing ability. You take a guy like myself or like Steve or, or any of you, and you have us babysit five kids that are age five on down. <laughs> After about 40 minutes, we're ready to scream, pull our hair out. I can handle one kid, no problem. Two and a half, come with me. You ever hammer a nail? <laughs> well, come on. Take him out in the shop. Okay, here's how we do this. Ah, oh, that's really nice. He likes that. But you give me four other kids, and I'm like, ah. I don't know how to do this. Nancy says, oh, it's not that bad. Now, there are times when she'll get harried when she's around a lot of kids. But you see, she's equipped to be able to handle this much easier and better than I can. It's God's way of making us unique. We need each other. You need each other. I need a wife. My wife needs me. And together we make a good team. Let's go on. By the way, all of this everything connected to everything you know, bzzz, it just keeps going it just keeps going it's all fueled by a very particular fuel called emotion okay when you take a memory and you attach an emotion to that memory you burn that into your mind forever okay girls do this a lot guys can do it some but not as much because frankly we don't care but just kidding. But you see, there are memories in your life, guys, in the audience, that you'll remember forever. Why? Because there was an event, you attached an emotion to that memory. And a girl can do this much easier than a guy. I have a friend of mine who's a biblical counselor from Colorado Springs. His name is John. John told me one time, whenever he and his wife had an argument, which was a rare thing, but they did have them, he said, my wife always got historical. I said, you mean hysterical. He said, no, historical. She could remember everything. And in 1987, you bought that stupid fan for the window that didn't work. <laughs> and another thing. They're a dear couple. They don't do that now, by the way. They resolved all, all their issues, and they're a, they're a neat Christian couple. When you take a memory and you attach an emotion to that memory, you burn it into your heart forever, into your mind. Okay. Let's go on here. Same words, different meanings, guys and girls being different. Five minutes. <laughs> guys, how long is five minutes? Five minutes. 300 seconds. Five minutes. Girls, how long is five minutes? Depends. <laughs> Nancy and I can be in a motel and say, honey, come on, we've got to go. We, um, our youth class starts at 3 a.m. or whatever in uh, a little bit. Let's go. She says, five minutes. Okay. So I'm standing down here looking, okay, five minutes, 300 seconds. Two nine, two ninety-nine, three hundred. 299, 300. Let's go, hon. Two more minutes. <laughs> Another thing Nancy and I learned early on in our relationship was how the male and female brain were different, only we learned it the hard way. Early on, you see, when a guy's troubled about something, he just wants to turn it off and just not think about it. Really, I'm that way, and I think you guys are too. I've had some pretty um, harrowing experiences, and yeah, you've got to work through it, but you just kind of want to not think about it, just turn it off and do what needs to be done. When I was troubled, I would want to kind of think about nothing, turn it off. Nancy could sense this. As a good wife, she would say, honey, do you want to talk about it? No. No, I don't want to talk about that at all. I just want to turn it off. I've talked about it too much as it is. Now I just want to turn everything off and go flat. Okay. Nancy, on the other hand, couldn't do that. My wife couldn't do that. You see, when she was troubled about something, she had to talk about it. It's the same way with most of you women here, all of you probably. You need to talk about it to work through it and resolve it. And I learned early on in our marriage to stop trying to fix her. 
she'd come up and say, I really got a problem, you know, so-and-so said or did something, and usually relational. So I would say, well, you know, this is how you fix that. This is what you should do. She didn't want to hear that. She wanted me to just be quiet and listen. And I finally learned that in our relationship. She'd come up in the office one day, and she said, I've got this issue that come up. And I said, okay. And before she got started, I said, do you want me to fix it or just listen? She said, I want you to just listen. I said, you got it. Just listened. She told me the whole thing. Bounded up off the couch. I feel better. Ran downstairs. I'm hollering after her. Wait a minute. Don't you want me to fix it? Nope. I already figured it out. Thanks for listening. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. You see, when Nancy was troubled about something, I would give her my best advice as a man. Don't think about it. She couldn't do that. I was, she couldn't do that. I'd say, honey, it's easy. Just don't, don't worry about it. Don't think about it. She's not wired that away, okay. And as a spiritual woman, and as a spiritual man, we have the ability to connect spiritually with one another, pray about things together. Aha, there's a whole new dimension, isn't it? We're moving away from just these physiological differences into the solution. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Pray together. When I was upset, she'd say, you want to talk about it? No, I don't want to talk about it. But I've learned to move beyond that, guys. You see, you can change. You're not locked into any of these patterns. I've learned to say, let's pray about this together. And as a leader, I wasn't a leader when we first got married. I was a passive man. I was like that guy I showed in the slide, American Idol. God in his goodness showed me how to become a spiritual leader in my home. Year 2004, I made a statement in a marriage seminar I'd never made before. I said, a woman cannot respect a man who's not spiritual leader in their home. First time I ever said that, I wonder how that'll go over. Immediately after that presentation, three women marched up front. They wanted to talk, one of them with tears. And they said, this is absolutely true. They weren't experiencing that in their life. And they were in a hard spot. The Bible calls a woman in Ephesians 5 to respect. Okay. And it was very difficult for them to respect a man who was not a spiritual leader. And so by default, they found themselves square in the middle of 1 Peter 3, where it talks about a woman who's living in a home, a hard situation where the husband's not a believer, and what needs to happen there in order to win the husband over to Christ. This is God's advice through Paul, and it works. But there's a better way. Let's go back to the words, different meanings, nothing. We're going down the road, driving from Stavanger, Norway, over to Kristiansand three weeks ago, driving along, looking at the beautiful scenery, um, not saying much for 20 minutes. Nancy looks over and says, what you thinking about? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> That's true. I wasn't thinking about much at the time. Now, if a woman, if I ask her, say, honey, what are you thinking about? She goes, Nothing. Then I know it's something. <laughs> <laughs> there been something, because it's very difficult, if not impossible, for a woman to think about nothing. Let's go on. Sigh. It means different things, different people. For a guy, say he's walking down in the mall, and he walks by uh, Macy's there in the mall, and there's mirrors lining the wall, and he sees that image of himself, and he goes, <sighs> He likes what he sees. I've seen guys do this. I've probably done it myself. I've seen the girls in the mall. I've sat down there when my wife's shopping, watching, and I see girls walk by this same area, and they're kind of walking. All of a sudden, they say, I look fat. My hair's terrible. Difference. Go ahead. If we're driving to the Outer Banks, North Carolina, for a much-needed vacation, I say, honey, I've got an idea. I'm going to drive all the way down to the ferry dock and we're going to take the ferry on out to Cape Hatteras. Now, won't that be fun? Yeah, it will, but when does the ferry go? Eh, I don't know. They probably go regularly like they do over in uh, Scandinavia. Well, go ahead. So we get there and we find out they do go regularly every three hours and the previous one just left 20 minutes ago. So we've got two hours and 40 minutes to wait. Not much fun. Let's go on. Male testosterone, we talked about this. 
Male testosterone is part of the way God created a man clear back when the fall occurred and the curse was pronounced upon the earth. Also to man was given the responsibility, which I believe was a carryover from the original role of creation to provide for the family. And God said it's going to be a little harder this time around. You're going to have weeds and things to deal with. And Paul, like he said, the creation groans. It will fight against you for a while until the earth is made new. Testosterone will help you do your task. It will, it will be that driving force within you that will give you the ability and the desire to protect your woman. Girls, how do you know a man loves you? When he wants to protect you. When he wants to protect you. Bjorn Daly, one of the greatest cross-country skiers there's ever been. There's an exhibition. You've heard of this guy, probably. Who is that? Michael Phelps. Yeah, he can swim a little bit. A tremendous specimen of conditioning and ability. Johan Olaf Koss, one of the greatest speed skaters there's ever been, also from Norway. Now these guys have something, these guys have something special. They've got, they've got testosterone, of course, like all of us guys have, but they've conditioned themselves to, to the world-class athletes that they are, but it means nothing in the eyes of heaven. Testosterone will not take you to heaven, nor will it take you to happiness. Surrender to Christ's will. Let's go on. Female hormones, you all know about this. Some of you more than I, I'm probably, probably not qualified as many of you to talk about this, but I do know that there are four main hormones in a woman's cycle. And when we talk to husbands and wives, sometimes I'll ask them, what's the monthly cycle for, like for you? Do you struggle a lot during that period of time? Or is it easier? And you'll get all kinds of answers. Sometimes the wife will say it's, it's really not that bad. Now, I'll turn to the husband because I know he'll give me the right answer and say, is that true? He'll say, oh yeah, it's really not that bad. Okay, and if it is, he'll tell me. I know one guy, he's a doctor. He said, I asked my wife one time why she's so angry during that monthly cycle. And she said, I'm not angry, I just hate you. <laughs> they had a sense of humor. They're a Christian couple, by the way. There are a couple of things that will help level these cycles out, women. One of them may surprise you. Uh, Vitex has been offered lately as a natural solution to kind of help level out the hormonal cycle for a woman. And flaxseed oil has often been touted for its ability to help level that out. <clears throat> but there is one other thing that will help. Resolving bitterness will definitely help this monthly cycle. Now that's a spiritual thing, isn't it? And you would be amazed at how that affects the emotional side of a person. We had a Baptist couple come to us all five years ago or so. I can't remember when. It was an adultery case for him. That's about the third hardest thing there is to help someone through. And I helped him resolve his moral issues. I led him to Christ and, and to God for healing. And then I led the wife to resolve her bitterness. She had a, a very large amount of bitterness. And I led her to Jesus to resolve that. He's the only one that can. I'm just fortunate to be able to, to watch this happen in my office. The next morning they came back in to the office and I said, they were staying with us, by the way. I said, how'd you get along last night? I always like to check on couples. And she said, a funny thing happened yesterday afternoon. I walked over to the window. And I stood there for three hours without moving, looking outside. OK. And she said, I found myself noticing the grass, and I could hear the birds. She said, it was all so beautiful. I, I couldn't leave that window. I just stood there for a long time. Lost track of time. Later I found, I found out I'd been there for three hours. She said, I found myself saying it's so beautiful. What had happened? That was the very same yard, the very same window that she'd been looking out of probably for the previous two days. But something happened in her life. She chose to resolve bitterness. She was carrying around inside of her a note of debt. Someone owes me something. In this case, it was the husband. And the way that her own father treated her when she was young, and she carried that around all of her life, and her husband stood on the shoulders of that. And she had this note of debt that she was carrying around in the form of bitterness, the Bible says. 
See to it that no root of bitterness spring up among you, whereby many are defiled. She chose to tear that note up, and tearing that note up meant her saying, I am willing to pay the price of the pain that they caused me. And only then was she walking with Jesus side by side. You can't pay for the sin of another individual, but what you can do is be willing to pay the price of the emotional pain. And to put it simply, all that means, my friends, is that you say, I accept what happened. I can't change it. Forgiveness is giving up all hope of having a different past. That will help this monthly cycle tremendously. It might not be a complete cure, but it'll, it'll sure go a long ways. Let's go on. We're back to the question we asked in the beginning, what is the most pain a person can feel? Some of you may have come up with an answer to that already. I'd like to provide the answer to that as we found over the years. The answer to that is the most pain a person can feel is when they're completely and totally alone. We've learned this in different ways. The state of California years ago did a study where they discovered that if you take a young child and you feed and you clothe that child but you never ever interact or talk with that child, within a few short years that child will die. They've been eating and drinking if something important is missing from their life. It's the same way with each one of us, my friends. We were created for relationships by God. We were created to first open our hearts to God, God in heaven, be able to connect with Him. The most pain a person can feel is when you feel completely and totally alone. When you get into the federal penal system here in America, when they really want to punish a soldier or a, a prisoner, what do they do? Solitary. Completely and totally alone. But you're not alone, young people, adults. You're not alone. We have that promise that lingers wherever you go and wherever you're at. We know that we're not alone. You can be the third ruler in Babylon and know that you're not alone, even though you may feel like it. You can be in jail in Philippi and you're not alone. God is there. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a dry land. Nothing grows in a dry land, only the occasional weed. God sets the lonely in families. And those of you who have come out of another faith into the Adventist church have experienced something unique. You found a new family, one that you didn't have before. <clears throat> and that's a special thing. And you also will have some things that you have to unlearn along the way, and that's okay. God will be with you and he will help you do that. We need each other. We've been given a special family in the Adventist family. That's our presentation for today. Thank you for being here, and God bless each one of you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.